Hello, and welcome to ASMR Tirar Dueo. Are you hoping to calm your mind, relax your body, or experience ASMR? Dr. Andrew Michaels is here to help you. Today, Dr. Andrew Michaels reveals the details of an incident from his youth that he has kept quiet for many years. Please relax, get comfortable, and enjoy part one of The Dead Farmer. Welcome. I'm so glad you joined me today. This might be a little bit of an odd podcast for you to have to listen to, but I think I need to get it out in the open. It happened a long time ago. I was very young. And my friends and I were camping. We were at a church camp. It was a non-denominational church. It wasn't like affiliated with a big Protestant or Catholic um, religion. It was just a small church camp that let basically any youth group use it if they wanted to pay the rental fee. So I was about 15. I couldn't drive yet. I had some friends with me. And back then, while we were walking around in the woods with a boombox, believe it or not, holding hands with girls, you know, making out once in a while when nobody was looking. But, you know, it was just kid stuff. Nothing too crazy. Didn't get too carried away. And then we would uh, we would camp separately. The girls were in one floor of this huge barn that they had turned into a um, basically a, uh, uh, you know, like a bunk bed house. I don't know what you call those. Like a bunk house. And they had horseback riding and some other things. And it was a nice camp. And it was in <clears throat> southern Ohio. And I have really fond memories of it, except for this one excursion. It started, we got there the first night, and everything was fine. And before we went to bed, everybody went out in the woods, and we were like we like I said, you know, we'd we'd go on these hiking trails and uh, take our boombox and goof around, and everybody was, you know, giggling and talking, and something didn't feel right, and there was a storm rolling in, so we hightailed it back to our cabins. It, it's kind of hard for me to even discuss this story because it's so weird very quickly we went back to our bunkhouse and uh, of course the girls and the boys were allowed to mingle but once it was past a certain time at night we were not allowed on the same floor so we were in there and the girls were like did you see that did you see that guy in the woods did you see that there was like a dead cow a carcass uh, like the guy killed a cow and just threw it there by the fence at the edge of the property and I didn't see it so I 
didn't think anything of it. I thought it was just a story, you know, to try to scare everybody. And some guy standing over a dead cow's carcass. It sounded gross. The girls were just being silly, you know. Come on, make up something better than that. But we were right about one thing, and that was a horrible storm was rolling in. And when I say rolling in, this this storm was massive. It was a massive electrical storm, and the lightning was striking like crazy, exploding around us. It, it woke us up three or four times. We were in a very safe building, but, you know, you could hear it cracking trees and trees falling and busting the ground. And, you know, when lightning strikes really close and it booms, I mean, it literally will shake a building. It's an explosion of force. And this went on, like, uh, from, like, midnight to three in the morning. Then it quieted down, and uh, we just had rain till about morning. The next day we were up and uh, we didn't have a lot of things scheduled for morning and we all had something to eat. And some of the uh, adults were like, you know, you guys ought to go out and survey all the damage. There's trees down in the woods and stuff. We don't know if there was a tornado came through or what. And we were very surprised we had power. But we did. We had power. And uh, so we took... And got together with a you know small group of people, um, girls and boys, and decided to go out on the trails and check for this, this storm damage. And we didn't have to go far. There were trees split in half in the woods. And the one guide that was there was, you know, caught up to us on horseback and said, "Oh, this is great. You know, we got plenty of well, plenty of firewood this winter." We're just going to cut all these down and turn it all into firewood. And it was a lot. Like when I say a lot of um, trees down, there must have been a dozen. And some of them were uprooted and knocked over. And others were split like in half. And then we found a tree that was still standing. But it had gotten struck by lightning and it was split. But it was still standing. And he, you know, the guide was like, we're going to have to cut that one down. And then one of the girls said something like, did you see that dead cow out at the edge of the property line by the fence? And the guy says, no, there's no, you're not allowed to dump cows or dead animals on the property. So she told him where it was and um, he said he would ride out and take a look. Well, we didn't think about it at the time and we uh, walked back to camp and then we it was it was a warm day, so we all decided to go swimming and do some activities. And we had a couple of little like gatherings we had to go to during you know your obligatory little church camp meetings. You know to um, get together and do your Bible readings and things like that. You know, and it was okay. You know, it was just something to do. And like I said, you know, I, I was kind of dating a girl, and you know, I'm 15, and my older brother was there. He was 17, and he was dating this, where well, he was trying to date this one girl, and it was, um, it was just a good time. And there was a kid there that uh, was related to the one girl that um, my brother wanted to date, and 
he was just a character. He was always trying to find gasoline or something to sniff. He would put it in a, you know, a jar and put a napkin over it and try to sniff gasoline to get high. He was really weird. And um, it might have been around 7 or 8, and it was starting to get dark, you know, evening, and we were in the woods, so it gets dark kind of quick because the sun goes down behind the trees. And the one guy that was, you know, took care of the horses and stuff on the weekends, he never came back. So they said, well, did you guys, when did you see him? And we told him that we saw him in the woods earlier, way before lunch, and uh, we told him where he went. You know, he went out to survey this area, and they said, well, do you know where that area was? Yeah. So with a couple of our, uh, I don't want to call them guidance counselors, but our adults, handlers, um, chaperones, whatever you want to call them, we went out to that area. Well, that's where things got weird. Very quickly. We got out to where we found the dead cow bodies, and they were there. There was three dead cow bodies, and they were just thrown in a big pile, and it was really disgusting, and they'd been there a while. And the guide was nowhere to be found, but his horse was tethered nearby to a tree. So one of the adults untethered the horse, and the horse needed water and uh, needed to be put up for the night. And uh, so they rode the horse back, and a, and a couple people went with that adult. So we were left with one adult and then the kids, and we were looking around the ground. We thought maybe he fell off the horse, maybe he, um, you know, passed out or got sick, and there was no signs of, outwardly, of foul play, but he definitely was, you know, missing, and now with the horse being found tethered, it really rose, raised some alarm flags, and we were really concerned, so we're, we're walking around the woods yelling, and trying to find him and, you know, basically beating the bushes. So we were kind of all over the place, and I said, we're, we're, I think we're doing this all wrong. Even at a young age, I was a little bit of an organizer and a little bit of a leader. I kind of took control of the situation. I said, we're doing this kind of all wrong. We're just kind of going around in circles. He's not answering us, so he's not even close to within earshot. Let's go back to where the horse was tethered, form a circle, and then work out and kind of go outward in a circle. Maybe we can find, because we're tracking all over, and if there's any footprints or anything, we've, we've ruined it. So we did that. We went back to where the horse was tethered, <clears throat> that area, and we all turned our backs to each other and kind of formed a, a loose circle. And I said, now let's... You know, most of us had walking sticks or, you know, uh, picked up a branch or something to kind of poke the weeds away. I said, now everybody kind of walk away from each other out in the distance. Don't yell and see if we can hear him. Maybe he's passed out and he's laying in the ground and we can't see him or he can't, you know, he's obviously can't hear us or he's not responding. So if you see anything, stop. Kind of look at where you're at, and we'll come over and check what you found. 
and then we'll go back to our position and work out from there because we've only got like a half hour before dark. Well, this actually worked out really well because we walked quite a distance from each other out and in, out into a circle. Some people were almost to the fence line of the property. And somebody said, I found something. And somebody said, I found something over here too. All right, so hold still. Everybody kind of mark your position. Some people use like a broken branch or whatever. And let's go over and check. So we all got over to what they found. They had found a shoe. They had found one of his shoes. And another person found a torn piece of shirt in a thorn bush. Now, it could have come from him. It could have come from us the night before. One of us might have snagged a shirt on this thorn bush. Because remember the kid that was running around with the gas, sniffing gasoline all the time? He would stumble into thorn bushes and brush, and he would rip his clothes up. And I said, it, it might not be his. That looks like the other guy's shirt. So we were unsure about that. But the shoe was definitely his or someone's and since we were missing a guy and it looked like a, you know a men's shoe that he may or may not have been wearing um i guess it was his we assumed so we said okay well, well that's where the horse was tethered here's the shoe it's starting to get dark let's all form a line from this point and work our way east away from the um you know spread out and try and feather out. Maybe we can find him in this area. Maybe he fell down this grade and he's laying in the brush. Well, it was our lucky day. Right when it started to get very dark to where we might even have a problem getting back to the cabins, we found him. He had tumbled down and knocked himself unconscious. And he was laying in a pile of brush. And he was bruised up pretty bad. We didn't want to move him immediately. Because, you know, he might have had a spinal injury or a back injury. And we didn't want to just pick him up and carry him. So we said, we're going to have to split into two groups and it's getting dark. And we didn't think, even though we had a couple adults with us, to bring a flashlight. Or a torch or anything. So... The adult took half the kids and they ran back as fast as they could. Like, run. You gotta go get torches, you gotta get blankets, you gotta get water, and you gotta call for emergency medical help. And I said, try to find like a long board that we can put them on and we can carry them back on a board. And they said, there is that carrier, in, you know, down by the pool house, you know, in case somebody gets injured by the lake. And they had a pool and a lake. And I said, yeah, bring that rescue board. And But we really need a blanket, stuff to keep him warm. Because he was ice cold. He was alive and breathing, but unconscious and ice cold. And he was busted up. The more you looked at him, he was not in great shape. He'd gotten beaten or tumbled really hard. But I didn't think the grade we were on was that bad that he would get hurt from a fall this just didn't look right his other shoe was missing 
He was also missing a sock. His pants were torn. His shirt was torn. I stayed there with my brother and this weirdo kid that likes sniffing gas. Well, he goes into complete panic mode. That's what people do when they find an injured human being. They all go into complete panic mode. We sent all the girls back, and we stayed with them. We took off our shirts and jackets and tried to warm him up and get him up off the ground a little bit without moving him too much. We just moved him over to the side, put a, a flannel shirt underneath him, and then kind of rolled him back and kept him like on his side so he wouldn't swallow his tongue or choke or anything like that. And he would groan and he would moan a little bit. And he was breathing. But he was obviously really busted up. And he did act like he was hurt. And we would touch like around his ribs or his arms. He would he would make noises because he was hurt. And he was really unconscious. He did not respond to anything. We even held his fingers and, you know, asked him to squeeze and he didn't. And... I said, I know, I know it's silly, but put his shoes back on, you know, maybe he won't be so cold, you know, at least with his shoes on, and we decided to wrap his feet with a a shirt instead, and we were getting cold, it was, it was almost summer, but it would still get cold at night, and in Ohio, it, it gets really cold if it's a cloudless night, and it was, and the stars started to come out, but there was no moon, and... It had rained very heavily that night before, so the ground was still really damp and wet in the woods. So there was a real good chance that he was going to die of hypothermia. On top of all this, like I said, the one kid that was staying with us was running around, and he managed to somehow pull out a rag that had gasoline on it and a small jar and decided this was a good time to sniff gasoline and get high. My brother was pissed off, and I mean pissed off. He walked up and smacked that right out of his hand. And I said, don't do that, but it was too late. I said, if we had some matches or something, we could get a fire going, and then they could find us in the dark, and we could get a little heat here. I mean, even if we had a little fire, it would help. And my brother said, well, that's a really good idea. So, remember, we were young, and we were just making, I thought we were making some good decisions, but also some really big mistakes. But we all were kind of trained in um, first aid and stuff, because I was a a part-time lifeguard at that time when I was a kid. And so I kind of knew a little bit, you know, don't move the body, keep them warm, keep them elevated, you know, feet elevated. Um, you know, cover them up and keep them warm so they don't go into shock. So we were trying. But the area we were in was, you know, there was a little bit of wood, you know, branches everywhere and, you know, brush. So we cleared a little spot and we gathered up the rag and whatever was left in the gasoline. Most of the vapors were gone. And we cleared an area so, like, the leaves and underbrush wouldn't catch on fire. And we didn't want it too close to him either, you know, because we didn't want to hurt him. And we took uh, the small radio that we had. Of course, we didn't bring a flashlight, but we did bring a radio. And we had our boombox with us. Well, we weren't playing the boombox, but kids always had them with them. Well, this radio had a 9-volt battery in it. 
And if you don't have matches, you can take a piece of wire, which we found a small piece of thin gum wrapper, okay? Like um, from Wrigley's gum is foil wrapper. And we rubbed a little bit of the gasoline that was on it. And you connect the foil to each prong of the 9-volt battery. And it burns. It eventually got so hot that it catches on fire. And with this gum wrapper and a 9-volt battery and a little bit of accelerant, we got a small fire started. And I said, you know, we've got to get some heat. So we put like a little bit of brush behind him to radiate, to block the wind, and then to kind of radiate the heat back at him. And then we had a little bit of heat in front of him. Now, the girls were already showing back up, and they said that help was on the way. And they had flashlights, and uh, we had a little bit of light from the fire. And that's when things really got weird. The adults had come back with some blankets. They came back a little, took a little longer to come back with the board. And they had flashlights, so we were a pretty good-sized group. There was about 15 or 20 of us. And they even brought horses out because they said, well, if, if we can move them, we can take them on a horse. We can get them right back to help. And uh, when we got the board there, we loaded them up. And uh, a bunch of us, there's boys there, all grabbed that board. On, and we picked them up, and he groaned and grunted, and we wrapped them in the blanket and kind of tied them up a little bit with shirts so that he wouldn't fall off. And then, you know, a couple girls were on each side to keep him in position. It was like a one of those body boards. It was with him kind of curled up like he was. He fit, but it wasn't a, a great fit. He was a pretty tall guy. And we started carrying him back. And um, my brother said, well, I'll stay here and take care of the fire with, with him, the, the kid. I don't want to say his name because I think he's still alive. And then put the fire out. It wasn't a big fire by any means, but we had to attend it and get it out. We couldn't leave it out there in the woods. And the girls had some water, so he says, well, once we get the fire burned out a little bit, we'll use the water that you brought to put it out. So about five or six kids stayed. And we started marching him back. And I was a pretty strong kid. And I'm a big guy, so I was carrying him. And I got news for you. After about halfway out of the woods, that was a long walk, carrying another person, even though three other people were helping me. Even though we had handholds, even though it was all balanced out, we had to stop. All right around then, I heard my brother yell. And I'm like, I got to go back and find out what happened. So... They said, that's okay, we'll, we'll, we'll carry him, we'll, we'll keep going. And like other girls were picking it up and other guys that were just with us and they all started going. I said, I know, because we got to get him back. And you could actually hear the firemen pulling in. And it was a volunteer fire department in the area. It wasn't like a regular municipal fire department. And these people were unbelievable. They Now, th I'm telling you kind of an, an odd part of the story, but it'll it'll come into play. They poured into that kids' camp in 15, 20 different vehicles, a fire truck, an ambulance, a uh, emergency response vehicle, everything. Tow trucks, they brought everything. And they knew the kid. 
that we were, you know, that was hurt. And uh, this was a big deal. And they really came in. Well, here they had screwed up and said that <laughs> they just told them some misinformation, so they brought everything. They didn't know what was going on, but the kids' camp had a problem. So I run back, and I'm kind of getting winded and tired. I get back, and I see some guy standing over my brother and and, this, and these kids, and they're all on the ground, like cowering on one side of the fire, and he's on the other side of the fire, this, this, this guy. And when I say guy, I don't know what he was. He looked like he was six foot eight, six foot nine, tall, lanky, all in black. He couldn't really make out what he was wearing, but he looked like he looked like he didn't have a hat, but he looked like his head was covered, and he looked like he had a jacket on. I didn't know what happened, but I know I have somebody hurt. My brother, who's one tough guy, is laying on the ground inching away from this person, and he's standing over them. I ran full blast and just did, uh, put my arms in front of me and just did a, like what we used to call chuck you, you know, like a shoulder block right into him. And I knocked him backwards about 10 feet and really jarred me when I hit him. But I just like ran as fast as I could and just slammed right into him, knocked him backwards. And I turned around and I picked my brother up and he's like, we got to get the hell out of here. And I'm like, well, who is he? What is he? What is this? And they said, it's the, it's the dead farmer. And I'm like, who's the dead farmer? And they said, it's a legend, the dead farmer. That's the dead farmer. And I'm like, I don't, I never heard of it. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I'm helping people stand up and whatever the dead farmer was, grabs a hold of me, picks me up by my shoulder and my waist. Now, I back then even weighed 190 pounds. I was six foot four, 190 pounds. And I was really fit. He picked me up like a little kid. And he threw me 15, 20 feet away, away from everyone. And I almost slammed right into a tree. Somehow I twisted and missed that tree, and I skidded across the leaves. All I heard was screaming. I was completely, the wind knocked out of me. I didn't know what to do. And I heard yelling coming up the trail. When I got back to my feet, kind of, my brother was grabbing me by my belt loop and trying to pull me along the trail while I'm trying to stand up and here I realize everybody just took off running and whatever was there was standing behind us I managed to stand up and I said where is he like what's going on and you're in pitch black I turn around and I could see him silhouetted in the fire whatever he was the dead farmer and his there was nothing there it was just like a black image it was so frightening, and he was so tall, and, but he didn't look strong enough to do what he did. And right then, the believe it or not, two four-wheelers with volunteer 
firemen come pouring down the trail and want to know where the fire is. And we go back, and they're yelling, the dead farmer, the dead farmer, the dead farmer. And they go, what? Just go, just go. They turned these four-wheelers around, and they let us out. Whatever it was didn't follow us. After a couple hours, the volunteer firemen in a big group, very well armed, went back in the woods to make sure the fire was out, which it was, and cleaned up the area and took photos and everything else uh, using uh, these bright, huge halogen portable lights they took with them. And then they came out and said, you know, he's not there, it's gone, and it's probably just somebody pranking you, don't worry about it, but don't go in the woods anymore. And tomorrow we'll come back and clean up all those uh, cow carcasses and everything. So they loaded this guide up. Um, Like I said, took pictures, told us don't worry about it, don't go in the woods. Well, the next day, so that was a Saturday, the next day was a Sunday. We get up and uh, there's police, highway patrol, all kinds of guys in suits on a Sunday morning. And we're supposed to have a church service. And they go, well, we canceled church and we're going back early. And camp's kind of closed for right now. And they basically just herded us right into cars and vans that we drove down in and said, you know, see you later and made us leave. We, well, we're going to eat breakfast first now. Usually on Sunday you had like a really nice big breakfast and then you had a little church service. And nope, see ya. And we were like, we all pulled into McDonald's to get something to eat halfway home. And we're like, what happened? What's going on? And they're like, don't talk about it. Don't say nothing. Don't worry about it. Now, this is pre-internet. This is back in the year, you know, early 80s, maybe like 82, 83. So we're trying to find a newspaper story on it. We told our parents, asked our parents to look it up. Nothing. We even made a couple phone calls down to the camp to find out what happened to the guide. And the elders of the church or the, you know, our adult supervisors just said, well, they closed the camp. Uh, You know, we're not going there no more. And I'm like, what? What's going on here? And I never got an answer as that young boy. I never got an answer to what was going on there. So you could understand my surprise as an adult when there was a knock at my door and somebody from long ago and far away, one of my camp counselors, grizzled and old and white, the man we rescued that day, he was about 10 years older than me. So he was just about 61 when this happened. And I was in my early 50s. The surprise I had when he walked in and says, I don't know if you remember me, but I was one of your camp counselors at that church camp back in the 80s and you were one of the people that rescued me that night. And I found out that you're a paranormal investigator. I said, yes, my name is Dr. Andrew Michaels. How may I help you? Wow, this is more than I expected. He sat down, and then he told me 
his side of the story. But you're going to have to wait until next week to hear that. Until then, have a most blessed day and a wonderful week. And if you're in the woods in Ohio, beware of the dead farmer. Beware. Thank you for joining us for ASMR Tirar de Huevo. Please take a moment to share, rate, and review this podcast. It really does help. If you are interested in additional ASMR content, you may view our library of videos at youtube.com slash The theme song, Atlantis, is by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com and is used by permission. Correspondence, including questions or requests, may be sent to tirardehuello at gmail.com. On behalf of Dr. Andrew Michaels, thank you.